welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship! I don't know what that was. That was a... I tried to mix it up. It was a little uh, less more. powerful. <laughs> I don't know. How are you, buddy? I'm pretty good. I'm a... Uh, Busy week? I'm sunburned in the face from from Sunday. I've literally had several people comment on the weirdness of my sunburn like thing. Cause, so we were at soccer all day Saturday... I was outside a lot on Friday and then again on Sunday afternoon, and I had a hat on to protect my bald head. Uh-huh. So I got, I got like certain part, like certain lines, and then my sunglasses that create another line. And um, yeah, so this time of year I tend to start looking a little strange. So you have, so you have to cover the whole head in sunscreen when you go to the beach or something. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Why is that fun? I'm <laughs> just imagining you. Lathering up, lathering your whole hundred percent. You have to. I've gotten my burnt, my 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 head burned, and it hurts, man. I bet, I bet. Uh, yep. But you know, I'm gonna wear a hat usually if I'm at the beach too. So. Sure, sure. That was such an uninteresting start to this podcast. <laughs> I have a, I have like a Gilligan's Island kind of hat uh, that I wear at the beach. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Betsy hates. But it's Why? like because you so, look dorky. Yeah, it? completely. Because I look dorky, and but it's so functional that. I have to like say whatever. You know, Are you a shirt on at the beach kind of guy? I'll mix it up. <laughs> uh, I'm no longer at the stage of life where I care about getting tan. Okay. And so I will. Unlike I, your sons who come from the beach looking like they are. Like oh. the shade of coffee. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, and yeah, we and I tan pretty easily and stuff. Just it's kind of the way we're built. But uh, <laughs> my pastor just told me he tans pretty easily on this. Well, podcast. I mean, you know, I got I got this that is a little, weird thing uh, to hear. You know, my grandfather's Costa Rican. I got a little Latino uh-huh. blood in me, and so we tan pretty easily. But for me, it's like I don't care about that anymore. I want to be comfortable. Yeah, and so I sit usually. I'm the guy sitting under you the don't, umbrella. You don't, you don't want a nice glow in the pulpit. No, I want to. I, I, I sit when I'm at the beach or at the pool. I want to find the shade under the umbrella. So I'm trying to avoid the sun at this point in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not get into the sun. Wow. So, so we can just expect uh, either... Uh, <laughs> this really is the worst start yeah. ever. Let's just scrap this. You want to scrap it? That's, you want to start all the way over. <laughs> no, we're not going to start over. We're just, I'm just going to do... I'm going to cut... We're going to... We're going to move on from this conversation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of pasty white. I don't think you probably tan oh, well. I, I, I am very pasty white. Very okay, pasty yeah. White. So you're, you're, you're vulnerable to the, uh, yeah. the UV rays. Uh, very very much so. Yeah. Very much what, so. What, are you, what SPF are you going? Again, we're done with this conversation. <laughs> SPF conversation. Come on. How many SPF minutes are we on? on? How many minutes are we in this? Uh, I don't know. I don't know when I started it, so maybe three. Gosh. Well, you're not going to give us a little window into the SPF. SPF? Like, I mean, you got to be like an SPF 50 guy, right? 65? I mean, it, what are we usually, talking? Yeah. yeah. But but I, I like wearing a shirt a lot of times at the beach. Gotcha. Like one of the swim shirts, long sleeve. Like oh, my surfer gosh. shirts. Oh, I thought my Gilligan hat was dorky. <laughs> well, I don't wear any Gilligan hats. You're wearing a long sleeve shirt when it's 80 degrees at the beach? 90 degrees? I mean, you know, I care about my skin. Skin you know cancer is a real thing. You know, you know what know this that. makes? Like, this makes you more of a mountain guy probably than a beach guy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just like books. That's that's <laughs> it. You know, I, there's only, I'm a simple man. Yeah, you're reading books, your book in your turtleneck on the beach. <laughs> I'm in my turtleneck. Wow. No, I would not wear a turtleneck. My Everybody's picturing you in a turtleneck, so now this whole terrible intro is totally worth it to me. I guess. Okay. I'm thinking like like a really tight kind of turtleneck. Maybe a folded down one, like the one that kind of goes up real high, so you got to fold it down so it's a little double around the neck. 
80 style uh, turtle I don't neck. own any turtlenecks. What are we talking about today? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we got to start planning out yeah, the we, intro yeah, we because gotta, winging it is not going well. Well, I need to, I need to, I need to have a signal for you to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. What kind of sunglasses are you at the beach? Like, are you like a, uh, what's the baseball kind? I'm not like a that? huge sunglass not guy. Not a sunglass guy. I'm not really, I mean, when I, when I was younger, I wore fake Ray-Bans. Okay, fake Ray-Bans. Yeah, that I got on a mission trip. So you're going fake. like plastic frames, you're not like the... Plas- plastic frames, yeah. 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 Not 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 the aviators and not the uh, what are the what are like the baseball ones called? Oakleys. The, uh, Oakleys. Yeah. Yeah. No Oakleys. No Oakleys for me. Okay. All right. We're we're done <laughs> with this. We're talking. Y'all about start placing bets on <laughs> whether or not I can draw him back into this conversation no. at some point in the. We pop. were going to talk about something much more weighty. Yeah. Much much. I'm super. Much more substantive. I could talk about this thing for a long time, so we're going to have to rein it in today. I okay. So we, in our men's Bible study last week, we were working through 1 Peter 2, and 1 Peter 2 deals with a, uh, with the topic of submitting to authorities, all sorts of authorities. I mean, it talks about um, structures within family and relationships in the church and, uh, and, uh, and, and particularly government and submitting to uh, governing authorities, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And we had some really good discussion on it, and um, so we thought we'd we'd broaden the conversation to the the two passages that really are the the most explicit in dealing with this particular issue in in the New Testament, and that would be obviously First Peter two and Romans thirteen, um, Romans thirteen, the beginning of Romans thirteen, mm-hmm. and uh, just just trying to talk through some some passages that uh, honestly um, that bring up a lot of questions, that bring up a lot of. Uh, uh, contextualization. How do we think through them in our time, as every generation has had to do in different circumstances, and uh, just trying to get a handle on God's word in this area? Because, I mean, we're really committed that the the scriptures are are all God breathed, that they all are profitable, that um, they all have something to say to us, um, both for our benefit and authoritatively. Um, and uh, this is an important issue, so we thought we'd we'd. Uh, we dive into it a little bit today. So um, I'm going to, how about I read Romans 13, the first few verses, James, and then you read 1 Peter 2, okay. um, those verses that are relevant, and then we'll just start working through Romans 13 a little bit, talking about um, these issues. So Romans 13:1 starts this way, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay all to what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I think the next part has relevance, but I'm going to stop. The next part of the passage has relevance, but I'm going to stop there so we can read First Peter a little bit. Yeah, First Peter 2, starting in verse 13, says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay. So Those got, are our two controlling passages here. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Scripture has a lot to say, even outside of these two passages about governments and and uh, what to do with them and those sorts of things. But these are these are most the most explicit kind of uh, tacklings by apostles in the New Testament. Yeah. Now I want to. Here's how I, w- I would like to frame it, and James, maybe you can go somewhere else from here. Is <laughs> It's likely that I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll return to the beach. No. So obviously these two passages bring up really, really important questions around um, government's roles um, and if uh, they are fulfilling those roles, um, what constitute a government that is out of step, how does the apostle deal with governments who, who uh, defy God's law or persecute the church, those sorts of things? Um, and so kind of my basic question uh, pertaining to this, to both of these passages, mm. is if, uh, if the apostle, whether Paul or Peter are here in, this, in, this, um, in these passages, if when they're if when they're giving us these verses about government and their role, are they being descriptive, or are they being prescriptive of what government should be? Hmm. I think that's a big question we have to answer. Of what government should be? Of what of what the role of government is and their authority. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting to even come at it from that angle because. The, mo- the more obvious intent in both letters is the instruction for citizenship more explicitly than it is for governance. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I think, I think obviously, because that's who he's addressing, right? right. But in, so he is also that, giving he us... he does venture into... Uh, he defines some things, I yeah, think. Yeah, Paul, Paul certainly does. I'm not sure if Peter does as much. He says to punish evil um, and promote good, I think. Uh, yeah, so there's some broad categories in Peter. I think Paul's a little bit more, let's say, detailed. Um, my, my gut would say he's being prescriptive. Yes. So, cards on the table, I, I, think, I think that's true. Here's why I bring this up, is when we look at Scripture, and especially when we look at an issue like this where we have to uh, think through what this means for our current context, um, it's really important to look back and see, uh, as we look at interpretation, past generations and how they've dealt with, with doing the same thing. Mm. So this was a huge issue um, that was probably more uh, defined as descriptive in past centuries where you had a merging of church and state. Yeah. So, so in many of our Christian brothers and sisters um, in past centuries, in places where they had something like a state church mm-hmm. and those sorts of things, mm-hmm. um, they would have said this is, this is Paul... Uh, 
Peter, yes, but more specifically Paul, um, giving us a description of the inherent authority of government um, because the church and state were mixed there. So whatever the government decided um, was good and was bad was authoritative because they had been vested with that power, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that's not our context today. We, w- we, have, we have moved away from that sort of thinking of merging church and state, having some, that sort of kind of a, a state. It, it, yeah, and more, more importantly than whether or not that's our context or, you know, the context being different for the, the, in sort of the, the centuries that you're maybe talking about versus now, the, the bigger issue is how would the original readers have read it? Would they have read it as descriptive or prescriptive? And um, there's no way that they would have read it as descriptive in the original reading, I don't think, because they didn't have a government that necessarily existed on all accounts or that was operating on all of these fronts, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it, in that sense, it can't mean to us what it didn't mean to them. Right? Yes, now, yeah, I mean, we could we could go into the weeds on this in terms of interpretation, but but the reason why I bring that up is I think a lot of times this is very important when we l- maybe let's say read interpretations from some of our brothers and sisters in the past who probably mm-hmm. were in those environments, and so therefore their readings of something like Romans thirteen or First Peter two are, is probably, by their are, are coming are 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 are, are uh, framed by that context, mm-hmm. which is just not ours. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's important in terms of the the context issue, and and as we jump into the passage, I think this this uh, this question is the passage descriptive about government or is it prescriptive about government? Um, I think we'll bear out in terms of how we think through some of the stickier stickier points. Okay. Uh, so, verse one. Uh, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So uh, just right off the bat, Paul assumes God's absolute sovereignty over government. Yeah, so in Paul's thinking, uh, democracy or democratic republic or representative government uh, in an electoral environment is not, like, God's sovereignty is even sovereign over that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think Paul assumes that that God institutes governments. Right. And so that doesn't mean that, obviously, in a, like, he had no concept at that time on, on earth of a, a, like, a form of government like we live under. Mm-hmm. Um, but the message of that is that underneath yes we have a, a part to play in a in an environment where we vote and, and such so we obviously have a responsibility a civic responsibility and privilege yeah. um and uh we need to steward that and we need to take that seriously and but we also need to recognize that god's under at work underneath and behind and around all that yeah and so and within paul's context i think he's saying uh any idea of, of government being something outside of God's will is is contrary to God's our doctrine of God that He's sovereign over all things, mm-hmm. and so you he's what he's giving you is government is an established thing by God Himself instituted as a normal function of society. Mm-hmm. I think is what he's is what he's getting at, and um, 
So the, so the first application when I look at uh, verse 2 where it says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So before we even talk about that prescriptive or descriptive question, I think the first application is Christians are meant to be the best citizens they can possibly be within a government that is operating by these standards. Yeah, I mean, he verse 1 says, let every person, right? So, yeah. I mean, I take that to mean he's even broadening beyond the church when he says that, but but certainly it does mean, at, at, at the very least, the church, right? I yeah. think it has, there's implications even for the unbeliever in that, but, but certainly in Paul's idea, um, there should be an unusual sort of appreciation for and um, uh, a, a sense of gratitude towards mm-hmm. governing institutions yeah. that create structures and systems in which we can have a, a reasonable way of life. Yeah. So, so right away, I think that even kind of calls us up short probably, right? Because there's mm-hmm. this idea that government is inherently bad uh, I'm I'm a chief offender here in terms of just cynicism towards government yeah, or yeah, yeah. Um, just a negative posture of heart, uh, an inherent yeah. distrust and sort of um, criticism of, um, and and I think Paul's really implicitly under this is like Paul call is Paul calling us to to recognize the inherent good of government rather than the inherent bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think whatever, before, before even kind of putting up caveats of, okay, but, but the but, yeah. right? We have to, I, I think the... Which will the, flow freely, perhaps flow in a minute. Freely. <laughs> um, the, the plain reading of this text is that Paul expects for Christians to be submissive to authorities and be really, really model citizens. Mm-hmm. Now... This gets back to, I think, our descriptive or prescriptive question, because in verse 3, when it says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, there's, a, there's an assumption in there that we can know what is good and what is bad. Or we can judge the rulers uh, according to what is good and what is bad. There's an assumption in there that there's a, that, um, that there, that we, that we know what that is, mm-hmm. right? That we know what that is. So, Again, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. I think Paul is not necessarily speaking into and saying whatever government does, they're a terror to to good. I mean, to bad and a, and a, yeah, government's uh, always right. Might is right. Yeah, yes, might is right. He, I don't. I I just can't see that here. Not at all. What I'm seeing is Paul is giving us here a prescriptive analysis of if a government operates in this way as fulfilling their role that God has given them, mm-hmm. we should be the best model citizens in that system. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's my opinion from just, from just this first couple verses. Well, and I think, yeah, so, but it might even come to things like, there's a lot of things within government that are subjective. Yeah, for sure. Good or bad, not objectively good or bad. Yeah, for sure. Right. Absolutely. So let's think of something silly like we have established speed limits mm-hmm. and our like nothing biblical about that. Yeah. Right. So that's just a government trying to be responsible and reasonable in protecting the safety of their citizens. So, they, so we have a speed limit, right? Yeah. And as Christians, we 
like when you when you're dealing in things that are not obviously sinful or unsinful, good versus evil, mm-hmm. it's just it's just judgments required to to make a call here. Like when it talks about being submissive, it's like be rather than being people who are always pushing back, be people who are agreeable and persuadable. Yes. So you think about our a couple of years ago, we we were all reading this letter, and you mentioned in a sermon from Pastor Wang Yi, I think his name was, mm-hmm. in, in, China. in China, who was arrested by the Chinese Communist Party. And um, in that letter, he, he basically says, um, if you're not infringing upon the church, we will be the best citizens that we can possibly be for you. Right. And um, I think he's absolutely right. <laughs> that's our obligation before God. Yeah, yeah, yes, for sure. Yes, and that's a man who went to prison. Yeah, in defiance of his government. So, <laughs> so trying to, you can hold those two things together. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to gloss over that because I think some of this gets at a disposition and an, and a posture of heart that uh, there's something within the American ethos that is inherently kind of rebellious towards authority, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like our whole founding is revolution, right? And then you, you add to that a Christian layer of our tradition is one of Protestantism, one of protest. Like there is something kind of deeply ingrained in us where we're kind of naturally skeptical of authority and we push back to authority. We kind of like can have this posture of heart where we, um, you have to persuade us to go along with. You have to prove that it's worth going along with rather than our natural disposition is to go along with unless there's a good reason not to. Yeah. And so I think that's just a heart issue that I just want to say, I think that's worth us thinking about. Yeah, for um, sure. Because I see that in myself. Yes. So he goes on to say in verse 3 through verses, uh, let's say 4, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Talking about the government and authority there. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So I, just that, when he says, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Would you have no fear of authority? I think verse 3 is where it says that. So it seems to me, Anarchy is not a Christian value. Not at all. Like, uh, we're just not seeing that. No, and part of what you're seeing firmly upheld in Paul's thinking are, and you mentioned this in the beginning, are there are distinctive categories of good and evil, right? He's assuming there's an outside standard. Right. So when he says carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, that doesn't mean we get to create our own categories and then label one as on the receiving end of God's wrath, right? I mean, he's assuming at some level the upholding of, of rightly categorized yeah. uh, 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 transgressions against the law that are in the category of good and evil. So, yeah. for instance, murder being a crime and one punishable by, let's say, even capital punishment or life in prison or that kind of thing, like having a standard, like murder's bad, (laughs) right? Everybody agrees on that. But there's a lot of ways in which societies invert these categories, right? So which is why in Isaiah, the the prophet says, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. That we have this propensity in our, you know, in our defiance of God and in our suppressing of the truth to invert these categories and, and, and get them, you know, mixed up. Yeah. 
So, and and I want to get to that out because I, I I think I can just I can hear us wanting to bring up other passages first. I mean, uh, to to talk through this, mm. but I just want to get through these sure. first couple of verses. Um, so when it says. Uh, uh, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Um, that word, servant of God, is diakonos. Minister is really what that word means. Mm. That's really strong language by Paul saying that the governing authorities are a minister of God who carries out... Would that carry the weight in terms of the Greek would that carry the weight of sort of um, of representative sort of like he's an ambassador of a sort of God? Uh, I'm not sure. I I don't think I'm skilled enough to know know that, but the, that's striking language to, to call the governing authorities ministers of God. It's particularly striking when you think about the context Paul's writing it in. Yes. So, well, yes, yes, for sure. With a Roman, well, so I I want to be careful here because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of times where we kind of just assume that every Roman Empire was just this horrible beast. Sure. And uh, it, it was a mixed bag. Yeah. There were there were emperors who were really friendly to Christianity, um, who were really just like whatever you know people yeah, are agnostic towards. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, and there was others who were horrible. So I so it's, I, I think a lot of times we sometimes generalize that period as right from the beginning the whole Roman Empire was against Christianity stuff. That's not true. Yeah. Um, the, each it, it's just as contextual as it was for us in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in terms of fi- like figuring out in different cities and different localities and different you know uh, local governments what was going on. Um, I think it was much more of a mixed bag than we yeah. probably think during this period. Um, but I just want to point at that language mm. of of a minister of God again. Think about that prescriptive descriptive idea. I think, again, Paul is being prescriptive in what God has instituted government to, to fulfill, what he's prescribed for them to do. Mm-hmm. Not, he's not necessarily describing what's going on. Right. And I think that's really important. Um, again, this comes back to, and, and I think the, the next part of the passage lays this out for us, what's the outside standard between the subject and the ruler that defines what is good, what is bad, of a government promoting good and punishing evil. What is that standard? Um, So let's just keep reading verse 5. Therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Again, there you go. There's the ESV translates it, actual ministers there. Ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Okay, so there, there you have uh, Paul bringing up a very specific issue, taxes. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is an issue that Jesus addressed as well. But I, but I think it's worth pointing out in terms of, uh, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Uh, Paul's, now he's, he switched from calling, uh, he was talking about them being ministers of God with the sword and punishing evil. Mm-hmm. Now he's talking to them being ministers of God in terms of paying taxes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think this, I think it's uh, from, from hearing Paul talk this way, 
and remember, remembering our prescriptive idea, I think it's okay to say, which is, this is a, I think this is a real issue for some people, is, um, and Paul knows that the, what tax, taxes are being paid for to mm-hmm. their government um, is not all going to godly ends. Right. And so Paul seems to think that um, we pay taxes um, knowing that in some areas, these taxes are probably not going to go where we want them to. It seems that there's a built-in um, concession of the subjectivity of taxes, right? Like, yes. I mean, Jesus speaks to rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Paul's essentially doing the same thing here, and there's not a fixed number, percentage, yeah. amount. Yeah. So we can debate the merits of a tax system that would require, let's say, a variable tax rate uh, or a fixed tax rate or uh, income tax, sales tax, all these different modes of, appra- of approaching taxes and stuff. But the idea of having taxes is thoroughly within the bounds of delegated authority from God to governments. And then the <laughs> there's like those other things are, are matters for debate. They're not obvious, and so we can we can argue them on their merits and from a different for different uh, reasons and out of different values. But to say that twenty five percent of tax of, of income should be taxes versus thirty three percent versus forty percent for people who earn this much, like all those things, like yeah. it really is subjective. Yeah. Well, and even not even just the numbers wise, but so Paul knows that those taxes are at some level going to fund pagan temples. Sure. He knows that. And he's expecting us to still pay taxes, or at least his audience there to still pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets fuzzy for us: is I don't think Paul envisions here he, the Christians in this context having the ability to have political power to protest against that. Right. Okay. We have that. We we have the an opportunity to sway these things in ways our first century brothers and sisters did yeah, both not. both with voting every couple of years as well as with other forms of protest. Yes. Sure. So there was no... Christians didn't have a... Really, anybody in this class, didn't they didn't have sway in what taxes would go towards. There, there was no politicians, like, in terms of trying to, to beg for them, to like them, to in order to get them in office, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. That wasn't going on. They didn't have the same complexities as we do in terms Mm of uh, power to affect these things. So I think that's really important to to think through um, in trying to be too dogmatic on either side about what we do with with these opportunities that we have today. But I think the bottom line, the, the principle from Scripture is we can pay taxes to governments uh, to do who are both doing things that are godly and what God has filled them to do, and probably are doing things that they shouldn't. Yeah, they're doing some shady things. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think Paul sees that as completely okay for his people in the context that they're in, mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't address the power that we now have to kind of maybe try to sway those things. Sure. Um, I think that's a separate issue, or it may be related, but but I think that's the general principle of this. Of this passage on on taxes, sure. Okay, um, I'll concede that I, I do think, and we may not have time to go into all this, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether or not. Well, I, the 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 fact that we have power 
of a of a sort that they maybe didn't conceive of mm-hmm. in the first century church in Rome does not necessarily mean that we should leverage that power in every instance or in all the ways that we do. Yeah. Or attempt to. I mean, I, I think that's a legitimate argument. I'm yeah. just saying, I'm just trying to pull out from this, sure. from these verses, what I see we can contextualize yeah. to today. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, um, again, thinking through that prescriptive, descriptive idea. <laughs> Go I, ahead. I, I'm just going to point out the taxes are one issue he's talking about, but there is this internal aspect that he's speaking to again, paying respect to whom respect is owed, yes. honor to whom honor yes. is owed. And there's an assumption that you owe respect to those in authority. Yes. To those who are governing officials. You owe a measure of honor to the... And so uh, I think sometimes we think, well, they haven't earned my respect. Well, respect is earned, but respect is also to be given apart from it having been earned. Yeah. Um, and so um, there is a measure of which I think we have taken... What, what's very common in our American culture is to speak very disparagingly of governing govern government in general, and then of particular, you know, you just say the name. Let's say, well, name any president, any speaker of the house, any mm-hmm. um, any Senate majority leader, minority. Like you name those primary figures, and it doesn't matter what party. There's a sort yeah. of groaning that goes on, a sort of rolling of the eyes, a lot of mocking, and and uh, again, I'm 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 speaking as somebody guilty. Yeah, of these we've things, done that for sure. Um, but Paul's Paul's correcting that in us here. Yeah, talking about no, there's a, and this is one of the things that I think got particularly. It, it was it existed before, but one of the things we saw under the Trump administration, and uh, and now where we are today is an absolute degrading of the office, where there's just not like no respect, no honor, no. It um, seems to be given or assumed mm-hmm. to a person just because of the position that is held there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that Christians in our current context should be a part of trying to recover. Yeah. And so there are plenty of Christians out there who are not favorable towards our current presidential administration, mm-hmm. the current party in power in, yeah. uh, in the House and, and as well as essentially in the Senate. And and so it's a really good opportunity for conservative Christians in particular to demonstrate what Paul's calling us to here, to, to, to show respect and honor to whom yeah. those things are owed, yeah. being, a, let's say, an opposition party for, for if you voted the other way or feel yeah. strongly the other way. So I think this is actually, uh, I think we could demonstrate this in a, in a countercultural and in a faithful witness kind of way. Yes, yes. Okay, so I just wanted to mention verses 8 through 10 because I think they they help tie together what I've been talking about with prescriptive. Yeah, remember in, in, in original writing, there's no headings that there's break no headings. Yeah, there, right? yeah, yeah so <laughs> I know in the ESV, and I'm sure it's in other translations, that there's a there's a heading here after verse 7 that, that says fulfilling the law of, through love, which makes it seem like this is a just a, you know, it's a whole new kind of, passage yeah. to look through when that's this is right in the same flow of thought that he flow of thought right. that he uh, that he is in right now about governments and us submitting and the honor thing and and describing them or prescribing them or all those sorts of things and this is what verses 8 through 10 say oh no one anything except love each other for the one who love 
loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul ties this conversation together in terms of prescribing what government should fulfill. Mm -hmm. Also describing what the citizen and Christian community should fulfill. Prescribing. He ties it together by calling them to God's law. Hmm. He calls them to the second table of of the Mosaic Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me that the outside standard that both judges the government's fulfilling of their responsibilities and the citizens' fulfilling of of the responsibilities is God's law. There's an outside standard that calls balls and strikes on both sides. Yeah, that's that's helpful, I think. Um, and so that, that's where I, can, I feel like exegetically I can look at this passage and say, yeah, there's, there's something prescriptive going on here because Paul gives us a standard at the end of, of both uh, talking to citizens and governments that uh, he calls us to as, the, as what to look to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Paul is saying if a government is not fulfilling their role in terms of against the backdrop of God's law, then they're not fulfilling what I've just described. Mm. If a citizen is not fulfilling their role in what I've called them to do according to God's law, they're not fulfilling what I've pres- uh, prescribed. Yeah. Um, Which means we don't get to just make it up. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's not all subjective. I mean, there's yeah. going to be details within a given like 21st century reality that, that weren't specifically accounted for or spoken to within God's law. Um, and, and, and it's speaking of God's moral law here, right? Specifically, not... Not, not not the civil law as laid out for you know Israel. Um, yeah, I think there's general equity we could pull out of that that, that helps sure. us. But sure. but there's a there's an explicit referencing to the moral law of the Ten Commandments. Right, here. right. Um, and so I think that's really helpful. And as we maybe we'll turn to First Peter before we get there. But of of putting together in our head this passage with all of the times in Scripture that we see a history of civil disobedience. Say that again. I think putting that in perspective, the the standard of God's law Mm. um, against both the citizen and the government um, helps us make sense of this passage against the backdrop of of all the history of civil disobedience within Scripture. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because oh, within scripture, or within history, with, within scripture. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Shadrach. Shadrach me, Meshach, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Daniel, a yeah. lots of Old Testament examples. Daniel. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of of the the Acts uh, where people are where the apostles are jailed at times, and mm-hmm. they uh, like. If we don't put this in perspective, it seems like those two things are in, are in conflict. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to have this see this outside standard that judges. Both that one is not actually the one. There's a there's a standard of authority that raises all the way to God's law in God Himself mm-hmm. um, that regulates this relationship. Right, and and so even though we were talking about God appointing author legitimate authority to governing officials, even those that are perhaps corrupt, that that, that mm-hmm. in some sense God is the one instituting all authority. What what we're talking about here in verses eight to ten is that it's it 
in that sense, it's all still delegated authority, that there is an ultimate authority yes. that sits above that delegated yes. and legitimate authority to which we are all beholden, both government yes. and civ- civilians. Yes. And that, um, in the, well, I don't want to jump ahead here, but, but even think about it, so I wrote this down, like, how do you, fle- without that context, how do you flesh together what this passage, and when Paul in First Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understand the wisdom of God, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So you see Paul criticizing the the authority that the government enacted upon Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if this is just a descriptive passage of whatever government does, we we just submit to, then that those two things, Paul wrote two different things. Right. He's giving us a prescription of something that's not just out of thin air, but that is standardized by God's standard, mm-hmm. by God's law that I think is really important in seeing when is civil disobedience okay? When is it when does the church call, not in terms of when does the church prophetically um, speak to the governing authorities and say you are out of step here. Mm-hmm. You are you are disobeying here. You're not fulfilling your role here. Right. Um, I think that I think the church has a part to play there. Yes. I think it has Agreed. a part to play. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So maybe from there we can turn to First Peter two quickly. Not as not as. We might need to do a second week on this. Is that oh, I, I, We're already. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Dang it. This is why we shouldn't spend so much time on SPF. Uh, sunscreen. Are you gonna like? Do you, when you're at the beach, are you doing like every? Uh, two hours oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! You just ruined. It. I was just seeing. I was we seeing if I could such a good well, exposition I earlier, here. I asked earlier if people thought that we could. I was going to try to pull you back. See, you resisted. Good job. All right, back to it. First Peter two. No, I think you're right. We should probably come wait to, to wait to wait to come back to First Peter two. Um, and we haven't even really, honestly, if you, for our listeners, we haven't really contextualized yet that much. We haven't contextualized that. We we've drawn principles. Mm-hmm. Right from the text, but we haven't actually uh, said, okay, how does this apply to COVID stuff? How does this apply to uh, abortion laws? How does this apply to to different justice issues? Like, we haven't even done that yet. And yeah, I, sure. we're doing our best, I think, to understand, first of all, these contexts, I mean, these passages in context, such as Romans 13. Um, be upfront and honest about what that passage says, because I think there's a lot. I'm, we're trying to model this. A lot of people do do scripture reading and theology by saying, looking at a passage and saying, "Well, not that," and so they just jump to another passage to justify mm-hmm. what they don't like in this passage. Yeah, and we're trying to do our best to, to take Romans 13 at face value, get de- figure out what it is commanding of us, and put it in the broader context of Paul's thought. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I think, I don't know. I might be, I might be playing a little. I'm trying to think of how to how to wrap this up with like a couple of maybe takeaways. I think one takeaway for us is that we should probably all genuinely think through is, you know, what's my, what's my heart towards our government? Mm-hmm. What's my attitude? How do I speak about them? Yeah, um, and I think we need to be. I think we need to just kind of take that seriously. Yeah. Um, and personalize that. Like, that's not just a, oh, yeah, we all do that. Like, there might be some things, like, any one of us might need to repent for in that. Yeah. Right? And um, and actually to accept and, and embrace uh, 
government as a good gift from God um, in, in, at its core um, that is certainly corrupted and corruptible um, in different ways. But, but in general, our, our attitude and heart could, could probably stand to change on some of that yeah. and towards even certain specific government, government figures. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's one thing. The, the other one was, you know, you were talking about as servants of God and as ministers of God and, um, and then our, this whole thing of loving your neighbor as yourself and in terms of basing this on the law, the, the, the start of first Peter two in the section on government starts with saying, be subject therefore for the Lord's sake mm-hmm. to every human institution. And that's the other thing I think that is something we have to just come back to and to, to sit in is that it, we don't, our Christianity has to be primary when it comes to our relationship to and our attitudes toward government. It is yeah. for the Lord's sake, however we behave towards, talk about, interact with, submit to, or if it comes to it, protest, mm-hmm. um, inter- or civil disobedience, those kind of things. The, the, the controlling question has to be what is, like, in response to for the Lord's sake, how are we best representing Christ and walking in step with the spirit and, and with the heart of God and, and living as his witnesses in the world. And yeah. so our, our citizenship is in heaven first, right. And, and then secondarily on earth. And it's, so I think those are kind of some of the things that, that maybe stick out as I think too often we check those things at the door. We, we give ourselves, we let ourselves off the hook because of the silliness that goes on with government in our attitude. And then we, we don't really think first and foremost as, um, uh, as our conduct being about God's glory and God's name and the credibility of the gospel. We think about it being about our comfortability in the world yeah, yeah. and our way of life and our quality of life and those things. And that's really not the concern here Mm-mm. necessarily. There is a concern for our neighbor's way of life, certainly in loving our neighbor, yeah, yeah. but it's not for our own way of life or our mm-hmm. own standard of living, so to speak. Yeah, yeah for sure. So. So, I mean, yeah, we, we didn't, all we did really is try to, you know, unpack Romans 13 today. I yeah. think that's a good start to this conversation. Okay, so we'll come um, back to First Peter 2 next week. First Peter 2 next week and maybe dig in some, some more contextual issues for our day that, yeah. that get, It's a know, shorter passage, so we can do that, and we already have the yes, background of this. Yes, and we will uh, cut out the <laughs> beach talk, I guess. <laughs> Do you do like okay? Um, that's it. Are you doing no, like no, bath James. towels, beach towel? Like how, what kind of towel? I'm cutting this off. Are you a visor guy? Uh, Have a good I? week. <laughs> <laughs>